Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, Lord, that you might continually show us your mercy and love in Jesus, in his name, amen. Well, as I said when we read the gospel reading, we're going to look at perhaps the most confusing set, thing Jesus ever said. Many people have said that this parable is often called the hardest of the parables, or the hard, I don't think it's the hardest teaching of Jesus. I think that's easy to spot, hard to do, and that is love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. I think that's the hardest teaching, but the hardest thing to understand, most confusing, is often called the parable of the dishonest manager, sometimes called the parable of the unjust steward, a few different names. Not a good guy you want to be like that Jesus tells about in the story. And so Jesus tells a parable to his disciples about a wealthy landowner who then has an estate manager who presumably cheats and steals. And then you get to the end of the parable and it says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And centuries upon centuries now, people read that and kind of scratch their heads and go, wait, Jesus, what? are you saying it's okay to be dishonest? Uh, what? No, but what? what's going on here? So let's just get into it. There's a lot here. And this is probably the most culturally different than the time in which we live. There's a lot of cultural things to Jesus' day that make it hard to grasp. But Jesus was teaching his disciples a number of things, saying a number of stories, parables that teach about God, about God's kingdom. And he says, there's a rich man, a master, a owner. He's the first character of, of three main characters in the story. So there's the, Jesus says, a rich man, that'd be the master, the owner of lots of land who then rents it out to tenant farmers who then have to owe back, pay back a portion of what they make, and that's part of their, their contract. That's the first character, the master, the rich man. The second would be the manager that you read about. The estate manager, sometimes called booking accounts, takes care of it all. And then third would be the rest of the community. So that includes the workers, the the tenant farmers, but then their family members, everybody else, there's always people around, all the rest of the community watching and witnessing. So you have this manager who is dishonest, probably stealing from the master, very unethical, wasting, uh, Jesus says, wasting his master's goods. That's probably what that means. And the master finds out, word gets up, hey, this guy's been cheating you for a long time. Whatever reports the master's, they're reliable. So he calls the guy onto the carpet, says, I want to meet with you. So, so verse 2 says, the master called the manager in and said to him, what is this I hear about you? And the manager says nothing. He doesn't say, you know, hey, I've, I've worked for you a long time, and my father worked for you, my grandfather, hey, we have a long relationship, let's not all throw away for a little, you know, misunderstanding here. Uh, or look at all the ways I've helped you. He doesn't do any of that. His boss says, what is this I hear about you? And he, he says nothing, which is to admit it's all true. So silence. What is this I hear? Nothing. Doesn't explain, doesn't excuse. He says basically guilty as charged. And then the master says, okay, you're done. Turn in the account of your management, you're done. Turn in the books, you're fired. So at that moment, the manager's fired, he's done, and he receives justice for his wrongdoing. Except not. 
when you have stolen like he probably had, and, then, and that's just not one singular thing, that's a whole web of different lies. So when you've lied, cheated, stolen, the manager deserved more than just simply to be fired. He deserved to go to jail. And if he couldn't pay all of what he stole or owed, not just him, but his whole family could go to jail, and they could even be sold as slaves to pay the debts. This guy's in big trouble, and the master shows mercy. He only fires him. The master is merciful. The manager's fired. But now he needs to go quickly, get the books, who he probably had at his house, office, wherever, and turn them in now. So he's on his way, get the account books, turn them in. And everything he does from this point on in the story is illegal because he's already fired. So he's just going to retrieve the books, bring them back. So everything he does now is illegal. But the manager starts thinking quickly. i got to do something. I mean, I, I don't have much time, like an hour to walk slowly and get the books and bring them back. I mean, i got to figure something out. What do, what do I do? So on his way to collect them and bring them back, says he says to himself, he's it's kind of his inner monologue thinking, what do I do? My, I'm fired, I, I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig, I'm not good enough to be a, a laborer, I'm, I'm ashamed to beg, I, what, I don't know what to do. And then, light bulb goes on. He says, aha, I have it. The unethical, dishonest manager <laughs> hatches a plan that probably shouldn't work. He says and to himself, man, there's a slim chance this will work, but I'm out of options, I'll, I'll try something. So verse 4, he says, I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. What does that mean? It means, you know, people won't love me. People certainly won't trust me. But they might hire me if I can pull this off. And I might have a job someday after. So he summons the debtors one by one. One by one, important. No witnesses, just one-on-one. -on -one. He controls the conversation. But remember, it's all illegal. He's been fired already. He has no authority. But he's smart and crooked. So he calls the debtors in one by one and says, uh, Hey, uh, how much do you owe, owe my master? And he says, A hundred measures of oil. Yeah, that would have been fairly what they would have agreed to for him to work the land. And he says, Hey, uh, here's the pen. Take your bill. You know, Sit down quickly. Write 50. So he presumes to trick him into thinking the master is being very generous and reducing it by a lot. And the amount is about a year and a half salary for a, for a farm worker. So very generous. But he has the worker write it in his own handwriting so the guy who's fired has no fingerprints on it. Then he calls in the next guy. Hey, uh, how much do you owe? He says, 100 measures of wheat. He's like, oh, here, uh, here's the pen. Take your bill and write 80. It's actually the same amount, same value, just a uh, different percentage. So a year and a half salary for, for a farmer. Here's a timeout on this point. Timeout, side note on sin. Sin always breeds more sin. You see that in this guy's life. Sin begets sin. Evil breeds more evil. And by the way, good breeds more good too. But you see, in this guy's life, evil breeds more evil. You've given a temptation once, it's easier to do it the second time. You've worn your conscience down. Sin blinds us to the truth. It lies to us. It, it mucks up our, our conscience. It makes a mess of our hearts, and then we do it more. And this guy is already immoral, and it just leads to more. 
And sin always leads you and me down this tornado vacuum funnel that's destructive to ourselves, to others, and, and, and deserves our judgment from God. Now, back to the story. What would have happened next is very important. So remember, there's a whole village around. There's the family members of the workers. There's everybody watching. The whole community sees and hears it. So what would they quickly have learned about the situation? See, the debtors, the renters, who just had their debts slashed, would quickly return to their family and friends in the whole village and tell you how generous their master is because he just lowered their bill by extreme margins. Now, soon they'd also realize that it was unauthorized because the manager was out of a job. But word spreads quickly, person to person, how generous the master is, and then a festive mood breaks out in the village. Hey, they're having a party because people have some extra cash on them because the master is so generous. So when the dishonest manager hands in the account books back to the master with a sly smirk on his face, the master's kind of stuck. He has two options. First one, legally, he could take it all back. He could explain that, hey, this crooked guy just kept on being crooked and acted without authorization, and he could demand full payment, rewrite their bills back. But then the village party would end. It would turn sour, and the people would no longer be praising the master for his generosity, but then probably would turn to something like, oh, yeah, we knew it was too good to be true. He's not that generous after all, or, or, or something like that. Or the master keeps quiet doesn't tell anybody, absorbs the debt himself. That means he pays the price himself, and then he looks to everybody like the generous master that the town is praising him for being. And meanwhile, this scoundrel manager looks good for arranging all this to happen. So by cheating and stealing, the dishonest manager made his master look good publicly, and he also made himself look good publicly, too. So the dishonest manager made himself and his master community heroes for the time. And then you get to the last verse. Jesus says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And you get to the end, you scratch your head like, okay, Jesus, are you, are you commending the guy for being dishonest? Jesus, are, are you teaching your followers to cheat other people? people that seems to be the opposite of well basically everything you've said <laughs> at any other point right <laughs> hmm the master did not commend him for his honesty he's not honest the master did not commend him for his integrity remember he's getting fired for his lack of honesty and his lack of integrity he commends him for his raw smarts to manipulate a situation it's kind of like, you lousy thief, I got to hand it to you. you, you pulled a good one on me. That's kind of how the, he commended him for his shrewdness, not, not for anything else. Okay, so you still might be sitting there and thinking, okay, okay, what, what do we do with this? How, how does this apply to us? How, how do, what do I take from this? This parable, first of all, is not about stewardship, even though the details of the parable are about managing resources. It's not a, the parable's not about money or stewardship. It's actually about the mercy of God. 
You see, the dishonest manager, he's being fired for his sin. He's being fired for his poor morals. And since he only got fired at the start, not jailed or worse, he already knows that his master is full of mercy. And so with no other plans or no other options, he hatches a crazy plan with razor-thin margin of success. But his plan only works. His corrupt stealing plan only works if the master is completely merciful and willing to eat the cost and pay the price himself. So this dishonest manager essentially has bet the farm, bet his life, even bet his salvation on the mercy of the master, and he was right. Now do you see what Jesus is saying about God? God is your merciful master who has endless mercy on you. All throughout the Old Testament, it says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the merciful, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God is irrationally merciful and forgiving. And God is so irrationally merciful and forgiving that he pays your debts, absorbs your sin and your dishonesty, and he pays them with blood so that you and I can receive God's mercy. See, the the dishonest manager got a lot of things wrong, and we can point them all out. He got a lot of things wrong, and we're not supposed to be like those wrong things. He got a lot of things wrong, but he was saved because he got the one thing right that mattered in the moment. He knew he had a merciful master. And you and me too. We can look around our lives and say, man, I screwed up that, I screwed up that. God, I'm sorry, I sinned. You, you and I can say we, we've messed a lot of things up, but we too are saved if you get the one thing right that truly matters, to believe and trust in your merciful master who paid all of your debts to welcome you into his family forever. So really the example this crooked guy is, is this. Do you know where to turn when you are out of options and your life is crashing down? You know where to turn. And if a dishonest scoundrel like that manager knows that his master just might have mercy on him, how much more will God have mercy on you? Do you know where to turn when your life comes crashing down? You have a merciful master. And you know that your sin and my sin, what it actually deserves us, it deserves us God's eternal judgment. We deserve to get fired from God's kingdom and God's family. We don't deserve his kindness. But God is merciful and generous. And he looks at your sin and my sin and says, I'll pay for that. Your debts, I'll take them. I'll pay them. You and I deserve to be fired eternally, but God says, my son will bleed and die and pay the ultimate price of your debts for you. You have a merciful master who loves you and forgives you all on his own dime called Calvary. Do you know where to turn when your life feels out of control? God is your merciful master. Do you know where to turn when you feel like you've screwed up again and again? God is your merciful master. And do you know where to turn where, you've, where you feel like you have nowhere else to go and your life is a mess? 
God is your merciful master, and all your debts are paid by Jesus. Amen.